I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Andrew McClenahan, Director of the Office of Public Benefits Integrity at the Florida Department of Children and Families. Andrew will be describing for us how Florida DCF is applying knowledge-based authentication to crack down on identity theft in its public assistance programs. Hi, Andrew. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Now, to start, could you just very, very briefly describe the public assistance programs that DCF offers, particularly any crossover there is with Medicaid or any other health services, and the sort of ID theft that's been a problem for these programs? Well, here at the Department of Children and Families, we are responsible for the uh, application portal for most of Florida's public assistance programs. This includes primarily programs like your food assistance or SNAP, your temporary cash assistance or TANF, and as well as Medicaid. Here in the state of Florida, we have approximately 64% of all of our Medicaid customers also receive either food assistance or cash assistance. So we have a dual eligibility application portals where the primarily Medicaid only is going to use the federal hub as well as joint applications are going to go through our state portal. In 2005 and 2006, the application and eligibility process within the state of Florida was primarily face-to-face and a pen and paper application system. So you would have to take the day off from work or you would have to uh, make a special trip down, get in line, um, with all, and hope you had all your paperwork with you to go through the eligibility process. It was very cumbersome. It was very much centered on a brick-and-mortar system. It required a large number of employees within state government to uh, handle the application process and was not very customer-friendly. We began a modernization effort, and that was partly due to state budgetary reductions in staffing. In the state of Florida, we reduced our brick-and-mortar locations down to one for each of the 67 counties. What we needed to do was to modernize our application procedures and process and bring them, quite honestly, up into the 20th century. Today, Florida leads this modernization effort within the nation, approximately 97% of all of our applications that go through our state portal are uh, online. And this has also created additional concerns and needs for us and emphasis for us within the public benefits integrity arena to be able to secure these benefits, making sure that the people who are applying for benefits are the people who they say they are, and making sure that we get the, the right benefits to the right people and to do so quickly. And that has brought some additional challenges in here, especially as criminals, fraudsters, have tried to infiltrate the system. And today we're trying to get away from the pay-and-chase model of finding the fraud once it's already in the system and putting all of our, leveraging all of our technology that is available to us, especially within the private sector, to the front end and stopping it before it gets in. So now, Andrew, before Florida DCF chose to implement knowledge-based authentication, what other sorts of forms of authentication options did you consider and reject and why? Well, we're sort of limited by the different federal programs with their requirements to be able to authenticate users. For example, I mean, you need a driver's license to go stay in a hotel room 
but maybe not to vote. And those sort of federal regulations that they put on the different programs, and they're all different, can create additional challenges for us to be able to provide a one-size-fits-all solution. Now, we're using a knowledge-based authentication process that's on the front end. We're the only state that has this in place. We were required to receive a waiver from USDA Food and Nutritional Services to be able to do this. And we're the only state that has that right now. So the customer authentication tool that we're using right now leverages public sector and private sector financial institution-based technology that allows us to secure all of our applications better. The solution that we had to do because of the limitations on our brick-and-mortar locations and staffing. How does the DCF's knowledge-based authentication process work? For instance, can you very briefly walk us through an example of someone fraudulently applying online for services and how the potential fraud is caught? Well, Miriam, I have to be a little vague on some of these because I don't want to educate criminals, but essentially what we have here is four questions that are going to be asked to the applicant. And these questions are based off of the available data that is that is out here. I mean, we've got big data now and we can pull from data sources located everywhere. And we're going to be able to ask questions that only that person who is applying should know the answers for it. And we do so in a time and with a question set that allows us to identify the person, verify their identity, uh, to authenticate who they are, and then to apply our eligibility rules in this process. It's more than just the old, what is your mother's maiden name? or what is the middle school that you went to, or the high school, or your college nickname. These are questions that are designed to clearly identify who our customer is. So now, Andrew, some industries, such as banking, have been moving away from knowledge-based authentication because the use of social media has made it easier for the fraudsters to learn personal details about individuals. You mentioned that you don't ask common sorts of questions that are asked for authentication. How else does your knowledge-based authentication address those other concerns that information about people is so much more readily available than in the past? Well, I think that that's part of what makes this unique. For example, the the Federal Hub has a customer identification solution on here, but it's kind of a one-size-fits-all. Here in the state of Florida, we've been able to go through and call out those questions that we're not going to ask you, for example, your mother's maiden name because you may have your Facebook profile open to and letting everybody know who your relatives are. So those questions are not ones that we're going to use because of the influence of social media. So the trick was is to get the right questions that are in there to be able to uh, clearly identify who our person is. And then we don't want to allow them enough time where they're going to be out there Googling and researching the answers. And we have a quite a large pool of questions so that they're not the same ones so that a criminal or a fraudster who's attempting to illegally obtain benefits could plan ahead with answering those questions. So now, what sort of results are you seeing with this use of knowledge-based authentication in your attempt to fight fraud and ID theft? I think today, government has to show that we are being fiscally responsible with taxpayer dollars. And that these are taxpayer dollars that we're, we're talking about. Just in food assistance, for example, 
we had over $5.3 billion that went out through the state of Florida. And those are taxpayer dollars, so this is not a victimless crime that's in here. So being good stewards of that taxpayer money, as well as improving the integrity of these applications, and it's more than just a broken windows versus actual crime statistics, we have to be able to show that the efforts that we are doing, such as this customer authentication program, are effective and are cost efficient. It just in, we launched this last year in March in a small pilot area outside of Orlando and expanded it into the Ocala area and then went statewide in August of 2013. Just through the calendar year of 2013, our total cost avoidance savings was over $14.7 million, and that is in relation to over $3.1 million in identity theft attempts that we identified that were stopped by the, the customer authentication tool. That means that nearly $2 million in benefits that could have gone out to deceased people did not occur, and over $3.9 million in benefits that were attempted to go to people who are incarcerated in our jails and prisons also was not improperly issued. So we have some savings here that are real numbers and that we're able to show the public and show our taxpayers that what we're doing is working and as we continue to evolve with this process and identify the savings from what, for example, the deterrence numbers would be and get into a better job of identifying and claiming the numbers that we have here, we're probably going to see some additional savings numbers that are going to arise as well. We're very excited about it. We're happy about it. We know that states throughout the nation are looking to us to see the successes or even the failures that we have here being the trendsetters within the nation. And we're pretty proud of the results that we have so far. So when you had primarily the brick-and-mortar and, and paper-based process, was there some other method to authenticate applicants? Well, we still had access to databases, such as looking up somebody's driver's license or where you could ask, for example, how many speeding tickets have you been given or looking up somebody's children's names and vital statistics or asking somebody how much Social Security income that they were receiving, finding out, for example, where a specific tattoo may be located on somebody. Those databases were still available to us, but we weren't able to do that efficiently in a brick-and-mortar location, and it was a very cumbersome and long process. We're getting away from paper, pen and paper these days, and we're in an online world today, so we had to modernize. And I think the rest of the states are starting to realize that and catch up, and they're looking to see the impact that we're having on this as well. During our pilot project, we were even tracking issues such as customers filing a complaint about um, the process. And since we've implemented this program, we're over 4 million applications that have been authenticated through this process. And I believe at last count, I think we were at five complaints I would challenge those numbers against any smaller state with even their brick and mortar and say probably average five complaints a day. So it has been a customer-friendly, user-friendly experience. And with the online authentication, once we are we have a confirmed identity and the person has is eligible and we're able to go through all of this 
online, we're able to get those benefits faster to the people who are in need. And that's what's really the main focus of here, is being able to protect these resources for our most needy. Andrew, one last question. Are there any other anti-fraud technologies that you're using at DCF or elsewhere in Florida to detect fraud, such as big data analytics or any other technologies? I think that that's what we're looking at. We're always trying to stay one step ahead of our criminals and our fraudsters. We have a new EBT vendor within the state of Florida, and we're looking at predictive data analytics and you talk about big data. Um, that is something that I think private industry as well as our governmental programs really have struggled with because there's so many different silos of fantastic data that's available out there and how to be able to go through federal guidelines, state statutes, to be able to get all the right data that's available and then pull it down for our users into a way that's going to be user-friendly for our employees and to be able to apply that to these programs is really a challenge. And I think that that's where we're doing a good job of being able to, with our modernization efforts, of identifying areas that we have for improvement and to apply our private and public relations that we have with contractors, with vendors that are going to be able to provide these services for us. And um, looking forward to the future, I think that we'll be able to stay ahead of uh, criminals as much as possible. I mean, there's always going to be a new and latest and greatest fraud uh, technique that's out there. And being able to quickly respond to it, to be able to have a rapid response is going to be important. We also have um, dedicated investigative staff. For example, everybody needs to have a CSI team. Well, we have one, too, a centralized special investigations team. It's located in South Florida that focuses uh, purely on looking at the applications that we have, including the ones that are rejected and that are caught for identity theft, to be able to take that data and to analyze it for trends. And then the trick is sharing it with all the other different state agencies that we have to see if there is fraud going across the other state agency programs. So the big data is definitely going to be a technology area that is going to be a challenge for all states. Thanks, Andrew. I've been speaking to Andrew McClenahan. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.